0: The reading today is from Matthew 23 uh, um, until Matthew 24, verse 2. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit at Moses' feet, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they, that they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have only one master, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. The greatest among you will be your servant, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who are are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when they become one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides! You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold in the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it, and everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matter of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teach the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like unwashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous and say, If we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of the sin of your forefathers. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers, some of them you will kill and crucify, others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue them from town to town. And so upon you will come the righteous blood that has been shed on the earth from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zachariah, son of Baraka, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. I tell you the truth, all this will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those who sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house has left you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to the buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked. I tell you the truth. Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Let's pray and ask for God's help before we do that. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, the Bible, and thank you for even the bits that are slightly more difficult. And we pray that as we look at this together, that you would help us to understand what you want us to learn from it. pray that you'd help me as I speak, and us all as we listen. And we pray that this time may be to your glory, Lord Jesus. Amen. So the title of this uh, talk is How to Live in the Now Religious Hypocrisy. Now, I guess some um, talk of hypocrisy is pretty um, pretty uh, happening all the time at the moment, isn't it? Or in the last couple of days, how can a government minister, and before that, government advisers think that they can ignore the pandemic instructions and that they've said, "We must uh, follow? How can they do something different? Or you know, you might think about other sorts of politicians. What about those who sometimes? who are very um, vocal in their opposition, for example, to private education. And then you discover that they send their own children to a private school. All these people and lots of examples like that are of people who preach, but they don't practice what they preach. And, um, you know, have you seen, I'm sure you have, people who, you met people who are not quite, you realize eventually, they're not quite what they seem Of course, there are some very extreme examples. So for example, fortunately very rare, but there are occasionally cases where someone practices as a doctor or as a surgeon, and then they're discovered to be a complete fraud, that they don't have any medical qualifications at all. And in the Christian life as well, there are sadly um, examples of prominent Christian leaders who speak uh, and speakers who have lived a double life. It's all too easy to pretend to be different to what we're really like. Well, we're looking at Matthew, Matthew 23 today, um, and this passage where Jesus pronounces these woes on the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, or as some um, translations have it, the scribes and the Pharisees. They'll sometimes refer to scribes and Pharisees, so that's a bit quicker to say. It's easy for us to think of them as the baddies, but actually, they were, they were really respectable leaders, respectable religious leaders. People looked up to them. Many of them, though, of course, not all of them, but many of them were not what they appeared to be or what they seemed to be. Now, we may read this section or we have we've listened to it being read to us and we can look at it and we could think, you know, how stupid they were, how ridiculously hypocritical those people were. And then we might uh, be tempted to think about who we might like to put into the same category today. I mean, I've mentioned the politicians that we put in there, but we might think about church people that we might want to put into there. And the danger, and that's okay, but the danger when we do that is that we might become hypocritical ourselves. So as we go through it, I want us to think about how some of this applies or might apply to us as well. Most of most of the chapter is taken up with these seven woes. So, part way through, from about verse verse 13 onwards, there are these woes, and there are seven woes that uh, Jesus uh, states. It's like a calling out of Jesus of their wrong ways. But we'll misunderstand it, I think, if we don't first of all look at verse 37. It'd be easy to get the wrong the wrong idea about Jesus. You know, you go through all this chapter with all the all the woes, and we get the wrong idea about him. But verse 37 tells us where his heart, where Jesus' heart and his longing really lies. Because he doesn't want to have to criticise. Yeah, he does criticise, but that isn't what he wants to do. He doesn't want to have to criticise. Rather, we see in verse 37 that Jesus always reaches out. He's always reaching out. So verse 37 says this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Actually, if you think about it, you think about Jesus saying that, and you might think, well, goodness, who can say who could say something like that? It's a bit presumptuous, isn't it? If you think about what he was actually saying, that's a bit presumptuous. Who Who does Jesus think he is? But of course, Jesus isn't speaking just as any old person, not even as an important teacher, but as he speaks those words, he's reflecting his divine nature as the Son of God and is expressing his longing to bring the people, those people there and and all, all people under his care and his protection. And of course he says that, he says that, he says that those words in verse 37, despite all that these leaders have done and other people have done and all that they're going to do, he still calls and he still invites them. But sadly, at the end of that verse, it says, but you were not willing... But it's just one verse in a long chapter, but it's central to our understanding of the Lord Jesus, because he calls, he invites, he invites with his arms outstretched, longing to care for everyone who will come to him. But of course, sadly, now, as then, the call of Jesus, Jesus reaching out, it's often met not with running to him, running to him for protection, but rather a rejection of him, So let's move on and think just a little bit about the fact that Jesus is rejected. He's rejected by many people. He was then, and he still is today. The the chapters in Matthew's Gospel um, before this one that we've been looking at over previous weeks have included three parables. If you've been here, you'll you'll perhaps remember that. There were parables that all point to uh, a rejection and the consequences of that rejection. And the theme, of course, carries on through uh, the next two chapters. And it culminates in chapter 26, when Jesus himself is betrayed, arrested, falsely accused, beaten, and then killed. All just as had been predicted. So there's this rejection. But, so why did Jesus say... Sorry, what did Jesus have to say to the religious leaders who had rejected him? So that, we'll just look at that just quickly now. Let's look at some of the descriptions of them that Jesus gives of these people who were rejecting him in these, in these woes and the bit before the woes. So, as I said, the people rejecting Jesus are respectable people. They're leaders in the community. They, they appear outwardly to be very good people. They're able teachers, they're religious leaders. But it's these very people who by chapter 26 are persuading the crowds of ordinary people, who who are people who up to that point have been trying to follow Jesus. They're persuading them there in chapter 26 to reject Jesus and to call for his execution. The leaders, they'd rejected Jesus and they make sure that the ordinary people do so as well how easy it is for leaders to lead people astray. And then you'll notice at the start of the chapter, Jesus didn't criticize their teaching. When they taught the scriptures, the writings of Moses, they were teaching God's truth, and the people should listen and obey. Jesus says, what they said is right, you should listen and obey. But Jesus also said, don't do what they do, for they don't practice what they preach. You see, these scribes and these Pharisees, they were uh, very concerned about image. Right at, well, right at the end of the passage that Janet read to us in the start of chapter 24, we see about the buildings and the, the disciples pointing out how magnificent the buildings were. And these leaders were very proud of the buildings. You know, that was part of the image. They were very impressive. And having the right possessions, having the right um, clothing was really important to them. With these references to their various sort of religious bits that they had on their clothing. That was all very important. Their appearance mattered. It showed how important and religious they were. But it was all image, it was all just for show. And so Jesus is devastating in his assessment of their true character. You know, they might make a great deal of fuss about ceremonial cleanness really worried about the cleanliness of cups and dishes. But Jesus says inside, actually, they were filthy. Well, just like a burial tomb um, that you could whitewash on the outside so that it you know, looked a bit better, and the whiteness, of course, is only superficial. Inside the tomb are still the rotting corpses. But what they looked like, uh, the image that they try to project of themselves was in fact very different to the reality of who they really were. So hidden behind that facade, that outward appearance of looking good, was an inside that was hostile and selfish. And then they were really fussy. You know, they were really strict. So even tiny, tiny little things like their herbs and their spices, you know, Jesus says, you know, you give a tenth of that. You give a tenth of your herbs and your spices as part of your tithe, as part of your religious offering. But actually, you're so fussy about those little things, but you ignore the much more important issues like justice and mercy and faithfulness. And you'll know that the gospel writers have um, recorded various incidents where the religious leaders were much more um, concerned About keeping certain rules, like, for example, keeping the rules about the Sabbath, than they ever were in helping those in need. And there's a lovely little, uh, a lovely little illustration that Jesus uses, um, which verse is it in? In verse 24, 23, 24. Verse 24, where Jesus says, you know, it's like getting, you know. he he uses this illustration to describe their behavior. And he says it's like getting the strainer out, the strainer out and using it to make sure that no tiny little fly gets into your soup. But then, as you're doing that, you haven't noticed that the camel's climbed into your bowl of soup, and you go and eat the whole camel with your soup. You know, it's ridiculous, isn't it? But that's how he says they were like, what they were like. And then another thing we see in, in these woes, we see that throughout human history, God's followers have been mistreated. And here Jesus says, these leaders, they were doing just the same. They might pretend that they honored those who'd been martyred in the past, but actually they were carrying on in exactly the same way themselves. So Jesus had longed for them to come to him. He'd longed for them to follow him and come under his care. But, you know, they persistently refused They persistently refuse to do so. And so inevitably the result will be judgment. And judgment is a recurring theme in these chapters. Again, it's not what Jesus wants. He doesn't want to have to judge. He longs for people to respond to his call. He longs for people to come to him. But the theme of judgment is here in this section as well. Look at verses 38 and 39 Look, your house has left you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You see there that from <clears throat> that, for those who keep rejecting Jesus' call, the result is one day being left desolate, no longer able to respond to Jesus. One day for them it would be too late. <clears throat> and then in... The last verse in, of the section in chapter 24, verse 2, we see that for these people, their whole system of temple worship was soon to come to an awful end. Jesus said, do you see all these things, looking at the temple, the wonderful buildings? i tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another, every one will be thrown down. So we've seen that this uh, chapter shows us how Jesus reaches out, how he longs for people to come under his care. That really is what he longs for. But many, even religious leaders, reject him, and continuing rejection eventually results in judgment. So what are we going to take away from uh, this this passage several things perhaps three or three or four three things I think so first of all it's helpful for us to see that in this section Jesus refers to a long list of martyrs it's a bit like an A to Z people who had suffered for following the Lord and we need to remember that this pattern that Jesus describes in this chapter has continued throughout history and it will do, it will carry on continuing until the Lord Jesus returns. It's the experience of many Christian believers around the world today. I was talking a few weeks ago with some friends of mine who who are home in England at the moment, but they normally work in a theological college in Nigeria. And they were saying that over the last decade, life has become much more difficult and dangerous for many Christians in Nigeria. So, sadly, kidnappings and murders are all too frequent. So we should pray for them, and for those in many other countries around uh, the world where it is also very costly to be a Christian. And yet, you know, this passage reminds us that that pattern, uh, their pattern of life, is not unexpected. Maybe, as Christians in the UK, we don't experience that sort of suffering, though in past centuries, there have been many Christian martyrs, both in England and other Western countries as well. So we need to remember that this is a pattern and we need to be prepared for it, perhaps more to be praying for those for whom it is a truth. But then secondly, as we look at this section, what else can we learn? Well, <clears throat> the woes in this uh, chapter, they were aimed at the scribes and the Pharisees of that time. And we might see um, similarities, some similarities, in religious leaders today, in church leaders, in all sorts of different traditions or types of church. You might think about the telly or the social media evangelist who portrays a false image of himself or herself, getting rich on donations from followers, and sometimes with a private lifestyle that uh, is quite different to the image. Or we might think about a very traditional church leader who insists on ritual but doesn't, and there's nothing wrong with ritual in itself, but if it's just ritual and it doesn't at the same, point, same time point to the Lord Jesus, then that's no good. In fact, in any setting or any type of church, it's so easy for image, for appearance to become central, and so to miss the whole point of the gospel. But rather than uh, just trying to point the finger at other people, or just at church leaders, or other styles of church, you know, we may think we're okay, let's look at other people, point the finger at other people. Let's, let's think about ourselves. Do we try to look good? Does how we look and how we want other people to think about ourselves, about us, does that reflect what we're really like? We could ask these questions of ourselves, communally, as a church family here, but also individually, each of us individually ask ourselves, do we, do I, do you practice what you preach? Now, even though most of you, most of us don't formally uh, stand up and preach, we all, we all speak our opinions and we all speak our thoughts. So do we live up to what we say? Are we obsessed with minor things, with things that, okay, they're worth thinking about, but they're not the most important things? Are we obsessed with those things and neglect more important matters? We need to remember that um, other people will be very quick to point out any hypocrisy in the lives of those who profess to be Christians. So what sort of image of ourselves do we project? Is that what we're really like? If we're aware of the not-so-nice things inside, the thoughts we have, the things we've done that if we're honest about it, we're ashamed about... Using Jesus' picture of being dirty inside, how do we how do we clean up? Jesus does call us to come to him. He longs for us to come to bring us to come to him, he longs to bring us under his care, just as he did the inhabitants of Jerusalem. But how do we respond? Do we have to try harder? Do we have to, you know, try and scrub away and get the inside clean? Before we can respond to his call? No. The Bible makes it clear that doing the right things will never get us clean because we just can't do it, can't clean up the inside ourselves. Transformation comes by looking to Jesus and being changed by him. It's not by trying to clean up ourselves or by trying harder. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 puts it like this, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's the Lord who reaches out to call us to himself and he's the one who by his Spirit gradually changes us so that we can be more like him. We don't need to be religious hypocrites, but we do need uh, the Lord's help to ensure that we're not. Over the last few days, I've had a, had a song buzzing around in my head a little bit. It's uh, the words of a song from a singer-songwriter, Adrian Snell, from the end of the last century. That makes it sound a long time ago, doesn't it? But, but from the end of the 1990s, I think. Um, and it reminds us It reminds us that the Lord Jesus reaches out to us, and only he can change us, only he can clean us up. You know, we can't clean ourselves up inside, he can, so it's called only Jesus. So who's going to mend my broken heart? Who's going to give me a brand new start? And when the rocky road is tough, whose love's going to be enough? Only Jesus, only Jesus. Only you, Lord, could wash me, heal me, save me. Who'll be the rock to which I cling? Who's the reason that I sing? When I was blind and dead and lost, who met the price? Who paid the cost? Who reaches out and helps me stand? Who's going to take me by the hand? And when I feel all hope is lost, who lifts me up and leads me on? Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Only you, Lord, could wash me Heal me, save me, only Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we uh, look at ourselves, you'd help us not to be people who live hypocritical lives. We thank you that uh, even though we all know that there's dirt inside, we thank you that we come to you as we come to you that you do transform us and change us and we so we pray that uh, you would help us to do you would that you would do that in us by your spirit help us to live for you we pray that we may be as those of us who are Christians good christian examples and we pray that others would not be able to point the finger at us and say how hypocritical we are and if we're someone who's uh, never quite understood this, that uh, coming to you is not something that we have to do to keep scrubbing away harder at the inside. Help us to come to you and realize that it is only in Jesus that we're made clean. And we pray this in his name. Amen.